Glad you all made it out tonight. We're continuing with our summer refreshment series. So our main text today is going to be in Luke chapter 10. I don't know if that's up there or not, but but we're also going to set some bookmarks in a couple different spots. So uh, we're going to turn a few times before we really get into it. So hold your spot in Luke 10 and then go over to Mark chapter 3. Does that make sense? We're good there. So Luke 10, but then go ahead and hold that spot and go over to Mark chapter 3. We're Through this summer refreshment series, we've been talking about um, kind of just the vision for the year for us, which was revive, refresh, renew. And I, I'm sure it's already been said, but sometimes we, when we think of revive, refresh, re- renew, we get all like, oh, this should be like yay and fun and flowers and stuff. And that's not necessarily the way it works. Uh, usually for new growth, uh, something has to be, you know, has to die <laughs> or something has to be cut back and trimmed and pruned. And so you might have found that this year has been a little bit like that. Um, and so we're going to talk about two things tonight. We're going to talk about worship, but we're also going to talk about work, that the two go together. Uh, we are called as Christians to serve the Lord. And as you read through the New Testament, if, especially if you'd read through the book of James, uh, you'll see that James is one of those books that people say, man, it's so difficult to really understand what James is saying. Uh, it's not difficult. It's just, it's not pleasant is what it is. And so, uh, but we're called as Christians to work. But before we can work, we're called to be worshipers and to be with Jesus and to spend time with him. Uh, Some would say we're called to witness before we're called to witness. And so if you're in Luke 10 and you can move over to Mark chapter 3, and then we're going to read just a couple things here from Mark 3. Mark chapter 3 is where Jesus goes and calls his disciples to himself. And so before we even get into that, let's pray, and then we'll start studying. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege that we have to be called your children. And we just want to be yours. We want to uh, take the things you say. We want to take them in. We want to hear them. And then, Lord, we want to do them. And so please help us now. Give us ears to hear what you say. Lord, we pray for you to just fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight and understanding as we study your word. And so go before this time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, this is going to speak of what Jesus is doing when he's picking his disciples. It says, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve. Now listen here, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And then he'd give the list of who those guys are. But but look what he does. He says he he goes up on the mountain and he calls those who he wants and he appoints 12 that they might first what? Be with him. That's the first call. That they would be with him. Now, they weren't going to be called to be with him always. This was going to be a three-year gig. 
right? A three-year job that they're going to be with him. And then even in the midst of those three years, he was going to use them to go do some stuff. And we see that in chapter six, that he sends them out actually to go do some work. And he sends them out to do what kind of things? Well, the things that it says in verse 14 here. What does it say? That they would be with him and then that he would send them out to do what? To preach would be first. He said that they would have the power to heal sicknesses and also to cast out demons. And we find that these guys did all those things, didn't they? If you read through all the gospel accounts, you'll find there's times they go out and they preach the kingdom of heaven. There's times they go out and they heal. And they're actually surprised one time that they're not able to heal at one point, right? That there's a time when they go, hey, why can't we cast this demon out? What's going on here? Which, which you know, and again, they've come back from other missions trips, we'll see. And, and they're, man, they, the demons, you know, they listen and they're subject to us. And, and so they did go out and do all those things. But what happened first was that Jesus called them to be with him. And sometimes we could just get out and go, man, what can I start doing for God? Is anyone like me? You're just kind of restless, right? It's hard to just sit still. Does anybody have a hard time sitting still? Okay. Some of us, and some people don't, and that's great. You know, praise the Lord that some people know how to just sit. But there's, I get kind of antsy, right? I, I, sometimes I work standing up because I'm so like, fidgety and I got to be moving and I feel like I'm wasting valuable time if I'm not doing something right and so I like the second half of that part that he says send them out let's send them out and and I'm like and preach yes I like to talk so let's go out and let's start talking and then after we talk about what we're going to do then what do we do now let's heal let's do that Let's heal. Let's put things back together. And then let's cast out demons, right? And that for me is the exciting part. And I sometimes forget that first part, that I need to go just sit with Jesus. Because he says he calls these guys that they would be with him and then that he would send them out. Now look at, uh, real quickly, turn a few pages to Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, the guys come back from their... Um, from their little missions trip. And they're really excited and they want to tell Jesus all the things that they've done after their little missions trip when they go out two by two. This is just the 12. And Jesus says in Mark 6.31, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. The ministry was good. These guys come back, they got praise reports for the Lord, and he says this. What does he say? He says, hey, come aside. Come aside over here by yourselves to a deserted place and do what? Start more ministry. No, no, he didn't say that. He says, come by yourself and rest. Not forever, but for a while, come and rest. He says, because the things were just getting so busy. And so it's, on, it's with those two things we want to use as like a little bit of a backdrop to our study today. And so you can turn to Luke 10 now. But using that as a little bit of a backdrop, that God has called these guys to be with him, that he's called them even after really big ministry times for the 12, he says, come, come aside. 
all by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. So with that being the backdrop, Luke chapter 10, this would be after that missions trip of the 12. Now he's getting ready for a missions trip of the 70, who would be the greater group that was around Jesus. It says, after these things, Luke 10, 1, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So you've got this greater group. Maybe they even saw the 12 go out and they're going, hey, when do we get to do this? When is it our turn to go and do the big time things? And so Jesus goes, all right, uh, there's, there's 70 of you. We're going to partner up, use the buddy system here. And we're going to go two by two into all the cities, all the places that I'm going to go. They're kind of little forerunners. They're going to go let people know, oh, hey, by the way, Jesus is coming to this town. Here's the message we're going to preach to you. And they, they bring a message before Jesus even comes. And so there's these 35 places that they're going to be going. And then Jesus gives them a little insight into why they're going to do what they do. Look at verse 2. It says, then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the labor's are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest, his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And then he'll get into the real particulars of how they were to do this specific missionary journey. But he starts out by telling them why they're going. He says, the harvest is great. It's big. Um, maybe we're a little more agricultural here than they would be in the city, but even I don't think we quite grasp farming and all that kind of stuff. But the harvest would mean that there's been a lot of work that's been put into something, and it is now ready to be taken from the ground so it can go be a blessing, right? That's like the nature of what stuff that comes out of the ground is for, right? It's for consumption. And so he's saying it's a big harvest. And, 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 and your mind can kind of maybe go to, to John's gospel where he says, look up, can't you see the fields? They're white for harvest. That when, when the stuff first starts growing, it's green. It's just these little things coming out of the ground. And then it starts getting, and then the head opens up, and then you see that white bit there. And I've seen it just a couple times when you look over a field, and it's, and it's just it's white. And it's amazing because you're going, oh, cool, that's like what this must look like when the fields are white for harvest and they're ready. And I remember one time, actually, we were up, uh, we were on a mission trip somewhere, and I remember us coming into the town and there was this huge field that was white for harvest. And I was like, this could not be any more perfect than to stroll into a town on a mission trip and there's a field out there. And, and man, we were able to preach the gospel. Tons of people were like, you know, you know, ministered to a few people. Quite a few people got saved. And what was so cool is by the time we left that town, it had already been all harvested. I thought, wow, what a cool picture that is, right? But so you have this idea in your mind that there's this humongous field. And he says the, the harvest is great. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about souls. That's what we're talking about here. That there are people that need to hear the news of the kingdom. They, they need to be brought to Jesus. And he says, and it's great. And what's funny to think is even in a small town like ours, here in like the tri-community area, there's like 30,000 people or something, right? Which you go, oh, that's hardly anything. That's a small little place. 
And it is a small little place when you come from like L.A. County. It's really small. But when you think about on a Sunday morning, I mean, there's maybe a couple hundred, maybe, you know, here on a Sunday morning. And there's other churches with a couple hundred, few hundred. There's maybe a thousand people in church on a Sunday morning. That means there's 29,000 other people. Isn't the harvest great? Just here, isn't the harvest great? I mean, I, I don't even, you know, you go to a really big city, and it's like when there's millions upon millions of people. And so when Jesus says the harvest is truly great, and then he contrasts that with what? The labors are few. Isn't that a problem now? That we've got all this work, and if you're like a fidgeter like I am, you're already getting restless when you hear that. A lot of work, not enough resources for the work. Does anybody ever feel this? Like there's more work than there are hours. There's more things that need to get done than we have the resources to do. There's always, and so there's just a little lesson for us to grasp real quickly here. That usually there's more ministry than there is time or resources for. That's usually the case, is that there's always more ministry. And so what's the, what's the answer to this? Now, my answer to this would say, well, then go and like write some things down and start organizing a way to get more labors into the harvest or find a machine that we can build that can harvest faster and can be run by the few labors right? I mean, isn't that just like the natural thing for most of us is find a way to fix it. And if you're a doer, then you're going to probably get a headache at this point because you're going, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to think of? What kind of new strategy can we have? It, so it doesn't say the harvest is great. The labors are few. So start strategizing on how to fix this. Or the harvest is great. The labors are few. Pull up your sleeves and let's start working doesn't say that. That's what I would do, right? Those first two. Or now in the age of, of media, we could say, well, come up with a really good graphic and flyer to get people to see, right? No more than like three or four colors. That's too busy. They're not going to pay attention to that. Not too much text. They won't pay attention to that. So just get the key components of what we've got going, right? With no more than two or three different fonts and just make a really nice dialed in flyer that people would see and go, oh, gee, I didn't even realize it was such a need. I better start helping. Now, it's funny. It's a little funny because that's so often where my brain always goes when there's an issue. Fix it. Just find a way to fix it. And I don't know about you, but there are times that my head hurts from stress right? Because there are so many things. And I could even hide behind, it's my job to serve God and to figure out this harvest and labor's issue. It's part of my job to help people discover their gifts and get them serving the Lord. And so I'm allowed to stress out about this stuff. No, I'm not. And so the Bible says right here, it says the harvest is great. The labors are few. Don't go get a headache by thinking about how you're going to fix this. 
Or sometimes we get our hands and our shoulders and our back start hurting because we start carrying a load bigger than we should carry or we start doing things. We always put our hands on things, trying to fix things when the real answer is that what should hurt most of all is our knees. Isn't that what it's saying here? He says that the harvest is great, the labors are few, so pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors Into what harvest? His harvest. The problem so often is I take things onto myself and I feel like it's my deal to do. We've been having a ton of fun, at least I've been having a ton of fun with young adults on, I can't speak for all of them, but I think we're having a great time with young adults. Um, But we're studying through the book of Exodus and you see so often Moses refers, when God's like, hey Moses, your people did this. And he goes, no God, your people. They're your people. They're not mine. And it's a great reminder for us that the work is the Lord's. Everything is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord in all its fullness, right? Everything belongs to him. It's, it's for him. Everything's, everything's to, to glorify him. And so pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send out labors into his harvest. And that's good for us that, that we stop to pray, not so that we can convince God and lobby him long enough, to start doing what we think he ought to do. Lord, I need 75 labors for this harvest. It is up to you to give me 75. And we keep fighting with him until we get 75 or whatever the number might be. And we fight with him for a certain thing. The goal of prayer is not to get God to come and change his mind and get in line with us. That's not prayer. The, the, the goal of prayer is that we would be connected to God, close to him, hearing his word, listening for what he says, and what begins to happen is our prayers begin to change and become more in line with his will. Right? That's what prayer does, is that we get in line with his will. It's like that uh, Psalm 37 verse 4 where it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he's on the hook to do what? Give you the desires of your heart. So we've all tried to reverse psychologize God in one way or another and go, well, here's what I'll do. I'll just start enjoying Jesus for a little while, and then he'll have to give me what I ask for because of that verse. But what begins to happen is the more time we spend with the Lord, what do we start asking? The things that he wants us to ask. Right? The things that we were praying for before, maybe we're like, oh, well, maybe I should pray more a little more in, in this direction. Does that ever happen to anybody? It happens to me all the time. Because I start telling God what he needs to start doing. And I'm not his counselor. And he goes, hey, you know, master servant thing, like, let's switch this. Let's get you actually asking open-ended questions now. Things like, God, what do you want? <laughs> How about we ask those questions, Daniel, and not the you dictating to me how you think life ought to work. And so what happens here is God sends them out and they go out and what's so cool is, you know, he gives them all the particulars about their ministry and, and he even tells them in verse nine, they're going to heal some sick people. And we would find out by the time we get towards uh, verse 17 that they even cast out demons on this trip. So the 70 return in verse 17, it says the 70 return with joy saying this, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now there is nothing wrong at all with what these guys just said and did. They came back and they are fired up. They're on cloud nine because they listened to God. They were with Jesus, right? And he sent them out good, everything's still good, they go out and have very effective ministry. 
And so naturally they come back excited. This is almost one of those moments that if you are a little sarcastic like I am, you might read this a little like, Jesus, like it looks like you're kind of trying to like cut him at the knees a little bit. He's not. He's not. Jesus is not rude at all. He's not sarcastic. I'm sure he's a little funny, but he's not. There's nothing bad about what he's saying right now. But he's going to give them a story of like, I've seen bigger and better ministry, guys. (laughs) He goes, they go, Lord, the demons are subject to us. We cast them out. And he goes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, again, did he smile when he's, I don't know. But he's going, okay. No, that's good. That's good. But I've seen real authority over their boss, right? It's part of it, right? We're there, and I was like, get out. And he's like, okay, bye, like lightning. You know, it's a better story. He's not trying to cut him at the knees. What he's trying to do is get their focus back to where it needs to be. There is nothing that can hamper us sometimes like success. And what do we mean by that? That there are times that we can go out and be super successful. And so maybe the next go around, we can trust in what we did the last time. And Pastor Zeke's been sharing that with us on Sunday mornings, hasn't he? That he's like, Jesus does things different at different times. It's not always the same thing. It's not always A, B, C, D, and boom, you're done, and everyone's happy. Sometimes the miracles were like, oh yeah, just go wash your eyes out and you'll be healed. Other times he's spit in someone's face, and it's like, you know, that's kind of weird. But I think sometimes Jesus does that because he goes, because then everyone's going to be telling people to go wash in the water, and that's not what I'm doing all the time. And the idea is that we've, we need to get back to a place of being with Jesus. Because here's what Jesus says. He says, look, I give you, verse 19, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over uh, all power of the enemy. And nothing will by any means hurt you. Yes, I've given you power, guys. And ministry is going to be good. And I'll always be with you when you serve me. And there will always be those kinds of things. Nevertheless, oh, that word. That word's just like, it's an affront to us. Nevertheless, and, and it's almost like the disciples are, okay, yeah, you heard Satan fall, or you saw Satan fall, yeah, that's cool. And he's like, nevertheless, and they go, oh. nevertheless, what? In spite of all these things, guys, he says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Why do we need to hear this? Because just like we are, success can become sometimes like a drug to us. That we love so much to succeed, we'll always just be trying to succeed or do well in a thing. And God's going to get the focus here through his word that, that our, our being, our entire identity needs to swing away from what we do into who we are, right? Our identity is not what we do. Our identity is who we are. 
So what do we mean? I remember there being a time, and this is a great teaching moment, and it was a great teaching moment for me. I, uh, one of my first real jobs was selling cars. And so I would, uh, after every car I sold, uh, I'd call my dad. And uh, as I'd be fueling up the, so the, the car dealers right here, you made a right turn out of the car dealership, right turn right into the neighbor at the 76 station, and you fuel up the car as they're in doing the paperwork. And so as soon as I'd start fueling up, whether it said use a cell phone or not, I'd jump on my phone. It's like, hey, dad, man, praise the Lord. Like, I'm going to eat again this week. You know, this is real good. Um, and so I would always, he'd rejoice with me when we'd sell, when I'd sell car. And uh, I remember there had been a, a stretch of time, maybe like, you know, almost two weeks that I hadn't sold a car. And so things were getting tight. And I called and I go, dad, oh, dad, God is so good. I sold a car today. And he goes, great, bud. But don't forget, he was good yesterday too when you hadn't sold anything in two weeks. His attributes, right? And this is me talking now, not him. But his attributes don't change based on the experience we've had. Good or bad. Right? He's unchanging, guys. He's faithful. He's always faithful. He's strong. He's always strong. Okay? He's holy. He's always holy. And so what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's saying, guys, that's great that there was good ministry. That's great that something good happened right now. But that can't be our focus. The focus isn't good ministry, dynamic ministry. And that's difficult when we're in this setting, isn't it? Because we're like, but isn't that why we're here? like Jesus stuff to do big things. And, you know, we just had outreaches and, you know, vacation Bible school was big. I mean, for goodness sakes, we had a boat up here, you know, like, oh yeah, no, it's great. But our identity as a church isn't VBS, even though I think we do VBS very well as a church. Our, our identity is not putting on a fireworks show for the community. Or we were able to cross both borders this summer and do ministry, but that's not our identity. Jesus says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He boils everything back down to say this, you're my kids. And I remember hearing a man one time say to his children, there is nothing you can do. There is nothing in all the world that you can do that would make me love you any more or any less. You have all my love. Because, of course, we'd always say as parents, there's nothing you could do that would make me love you any less. I loved that this dad said, there's nothing you could do to make me love you any more. You have all of it. I can't love you anymore. I can't possibly love you more. And, and, and Jesus goes, let's get it all back to this. You're my kids. Your names are written in heaven. Because we can all do this, that we could find our identity in the things we do, the good things we do for the Lord. Um, whether it's a big event or, you know, something that goes really well. Again, like Vacation Bible School goes great. Or when, when you're up on, I've never been on the worship team, thank God for everyone else, but, uh, but I imagine there's times when everything just goes great. And you're like, that was amazing. And then everybody after was like, dude, that was amazing. And you could like, hey, 
That was amazing, right? Or there's times that you can teach the word of God and it's like, hey, that actually went pretty good today. That was cool. I like this. Or you teach a children's ministry class and the kids are dialed in and they're paying attention. You're like, this is like one step away from heaven right now. You know, this is so good. Or there's retreats and like there's this super emotional thing and it's all even grounded in the word of God. Right? And people get healed and people speak in tongues and they interpret and that becomes like our identity for like the next six weeks. Right? That that thing happened and Jesus is like, no, that's cool that that happened. But like Paul the Apostle said, he goes, you know, I, I, it's not that I've already attained, I haven't already perfected. Here's the one thing I do. I press forward to that which is ahead. I, I leave the stuff behind, behind, and I move forward to that which is ahead. Because God knows how prone we are to stake our identity to what just happened. And how good it was. And that was amazing. And we were on this mountaintop. It was so good. But then in the same way, there's times when there's no things that go on. Right? There's just like the regular season where it's like nothing's happening. Like at all, nothing's happening. (laughs) Or worse, bad things are happening. I, I'm, someone told me this when I first started youth ministry. They said, hey, if you, teach on every, if you teach every Sunday youth ministry, don't make any big decisions on Mondays. And I go, what do you mean by that? He goes, you'll get it after about a year. But don't make any big decisions on Mondays. Why? Because there were some days that you come out of that youth room and you're like, you know, you're ready to high five the world, you know, because you're like, dude, they all listened. Half of those kids were taking notes. This is amazing. You can leave that youth room, that same youth room, same group of kids, the next Sunday. And you teach, and it bombed. And those kids are looking at you like, you are the stupidest person I've ever met. I don't even know why I'm wasting my time coming to church. I think I'm going to walk away from Jesus just because of the way you are. And you walk out, and, you, and for like all day Monday, you're just like, babe, what's the matter? Nothing. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I should ever serve the Lord again. You know? There are times that ministry is not fun. Serving the Lord isn't great. Like it says on Trolls, it's not all cupcakes and rainbows, right? If you have young kids, you know. But there's events that no one shows up to. Or you serve and they don't appreciate it. Or you do an outreach and no one gets saved. Then what happens? Then you come back to the Lord with this thing of like, God, where were you on that? Has anyone ever felt that? That you come back, God, where were you? Almost the way like uh, Martha comes to Jesus that one time. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's like, chill out, lady. (laughs) Chill out. Like God of the universe right here in front of you, and you're going to come trip me out like that. No thanks. (laughs) When Mary comes over, she actually gets down to Jesus' feet, and she's crying. She's like, if you would have been here, I think things could have been different. But we could, when ministry is bad, get like frustrated with the Lord. Lord, why is nothing happening? Why, is, why are these kids not changing? Or why is this not happening? Or why is this this way? Again, I remember, I remember hosting a youth event for youth parents. And I mean, we had a youth group of like 50 kids. And there's all these kids. And it was, it was something for the parents. And, <laughs> and one parent showed up. And we had a, the whole sanctuary was decked out, decorated, all these tables and food and all this stuff. And we had tri- prepared so much for this event and one parent showed up. And I still refuse to delete the picture because it's a good reminder for me. Just 
hey, sometimes ministry is that way. And I was so defeated after. So defeated. And I come back to verses like this that God's going, but that's not your identity, son. Your identity is that you're my son. So when you mess things up or ministry's not good or, or even times that you're like, man, I feel like nothing's going on. We realize that our excitement, our rejoicing, our identity cannot be wrapped up in what we do. But it comes back to that our names are written in heaven. And that's why Mark chapter 3, where he says, come be with me. That's why, that's why Mark chapter 6, when he says, come away after ministry, come away. That's why Mondays are real good for pastors. That's why a lot of churches have Mondays off, actually. So the pastor can get away with Jesus. And Jesus can tell him what's true and what's not true about everything that just happened on Sunday. It was good, but it wasn't that good. You know, I think sometimes Jesus tells pastors on Monday morning, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, okay? You're not as big as you think you are. (laughs) It's easy to say when you're not the Sunday morning teacher and he's sitting right there. But anyways, but then there's also times that he says, hey, son, rejoice that your name's written in heaven. It wasn't as bad as you thought right? That's really helpful for us, that our identity needs to be found there at the feet of Jesus, because there will be a day on that day, right, that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when our work will be tested before the Lord, and the motives need to have been right, if it's going to stand, if it's going to last. So when we go spend time with Jesus, our motivation gets back on track. Everything gets back to where it should be. And, you know, we try to make a habit, even as we plan the year for the church, we try to make it a habit to sit there with our hands open, with our, with our notebooks open and blank, and saying, Lord, just because all this stuff worked last year, do you really want to do it again this year? Lord, do we keep doing what, you, what we think we've always done? Do we just do that? Or do you want to do things differently? And that's what the disciples got all these times. As they would go back and be with Jesus, then he would give them the play call for the next play. It's, it's very good. I mean, the style of football is not the same as it used to be. And maybe that's a problem, actually. But be that as it may, they used to, after every play, do what? They go back and they get in a huddle. Right? They go back and get in a huddle so that they can actually talk about what they're going to do right now. And then they're organized when they go back to the line. Sometimes they do the real like hurry up offense or the two minute drill type thing, but now they do it like for a really long time. And then it's just running gun. There's no defense anymore. Anyways, that's not the point. We're not talking about that. And I know Thomas O'Neill taught on this, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time in it. But a good example of what this looks like when it's in practice is at the end here of Luke chapter ten. When there's these two ladies that are that are before Jesus. And you know the story, it's Mary and Martha. That one is just preoccupied. She's busy. It says she was distracted with much serving, it says, in verse 40. And she gets to the Lord, and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister is, like, making me work alone right now? So tell her to help me. And Jesus says this in verse 31, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, and it won't be taken from her. 
if you contrast that from the beginning, it says that Martha was distracted. It says that Martha is worried and she's troubled. Mary did what? It says that Mary sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. The two verbs in what Mary is doing, if you're a go-getter like me, aren't verbs. (laughs) She sat and she heard. Those don't seem like verbs, action words to me. They are verbs. But she sat, she actively stopped and made herself sit before the Lord. And she heard. And because Martha was running around, it says that she became worried and troubled. There was anxiety. And so for me, so often what I'll do is this is a good barometer for me to say, okay, if I'm worried and troubled, if I'm anxious, it's a really good indication that I'm not spending the proper time at Jesus' feet. Now, this doesn't mean that Mary never did anything. And I, sometimes when I read it, I'm like, thinking Mary doesn't even do anything. She just sits there and hears, you know. And you can get frustrated sometimes in church. I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes you get frustrated in church that there's people that's like, you're still praying? You're still praying? Like, still praying about that? Like, come on, let's go. Get moving. But it's needed to sit and pray. And so what does that look like for us tonight? What does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? What does it mean to stop and to pray? What does it mean to get back to just rejoicing that our names are written in heaven? Guys, it comes back to us just spending time with the Lord Jesus. It's so important. I, I know, I mean, we're in a Calvary chapel. We've probably, if you've been here any longer than three times, you've probably heard this a hundred times already. But we need to be people who are in the Word, spend time with Jesus in the morning, reading His Word, praying, worshiping Him. I mean, even things like, like coming to church regularly, you know, it's so good for us. It's healthy for us to come and sit and hear Jesus' word. It's so important for us. And that's why in the mornings, you know, we, I love that old song, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. I, I could read the news a little later in the day. I don't need to get it first thing. I could, I could wait on Instagram a little longer. I need Jesus first. I need, I need that to be the first thing in my day, that I'm with him. Because when I'm not with him, my identity gets out of whack, right? And I start caring about other things more than I ought to care about the things of God. And so may we be people tonight who just abide in Jesus, who stay connected, because that's where the refreshing comes is when we're with him every morning. That's where the refreshing comes. That's where the renewing comes. That's when we're revived again, is when we get in that freshness from the Lord of what he would give. And not just going, well, what I got yesterday was pretty cool, so I'll just live off of that. There's not a lot of life there. So, wish we can go on, but it's getting late. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and for what you do. Lord Jesus, we just love that we've been saved, that you've rescued us, that, Lord, we were supposed to die and go to hell for our sin. But, Jesus, in your abundant mercy, you came and you died in our place, 
so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. And so, Lord, we just thank you that we get to just be your kids. And it's a great privilege to serve you, and we're grateful for that too. But tonight, we just want to sit, like actively sit, Lord, and hear you and just rejoice that our names are written in heaven. We love you, God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.